try to we're trying to convince them that they're sinners when that's not our job. Our job is to show them from the scripture that they are sinners and allow the Holy Spirit to confirm that. And um, and, and the Holy Spirit's on the inside working and saying, this is something that you know is sin in your life, and this is something that you know is sin in your life. And we don't have to do that. You know, We just have to give them the truth. And the same thing is true when we're discipling people. Thank you for listening to this episode of General Order 4. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about whose job is it. this episode of General Order 4. And on today's episode, we are going to be addressing a topic that I think will be helpful for uh, really anybody who's discipling, but especially leaders in churches, pastors, and that that kind of thing, um, because we're going to be talking today about whose job is it. And uh, what we're getting at there, it may be a vague title, but what we're getting at there is uh, we just wanted to discuss the different parts in a relationship. Whose job is it to do what in the discipleship process? And um, so if you would, uh, Pastor Stewart is, I'm with Pastor Stewart today as I usually am. And uh, if you would go ahead and kind of discuss some situations that you've had in discipling people. Um, I know that when we've been going through this on this podcast, people may be getting this rosy idea about how the discipleship process goes, that it always goes just right or just perfect. I remember when we had the interview with Craig, people probably thought, oh, this is amazing, yeah. you know, and uh, but not everybody turns out exactly like that. So if you if you could um, kind of give some of your experience in discipleship, uh, pros and cons and that kind of thing, so we can start talking about whose job is it. Sure. Uh, good morning, and uh, it's good to be with each of you today. Uh, when we started understanding about discipleship, that was approximately 19 years ago. And uh, in that 19 years, there's been many of opportunities to begin discipleship, to attempt to begin discipleship. And in many of those situations, uh, I would have to say almost all of them have not gone ideally, at least at certain times. In every one of them, there have been hiccups. There have been things where things didn't go as you would and you and I would like for them to go. But uh, ultimately, when we look at God's word, we see what the model of uh, perfection is. And when we deal with people, we find out that none of us meet that model. Uh, none of us match up to that model, and none of our experiences are perfect. And so what we want to try and encourage you today with is to understand and know that there's going to be times when you're discipling individuals that uh, they are not going to respond as you would hope for them to respond, uh, as God certainly desires for them to respond. And what do we need to do in those situations? Uh, what do we need to, uh, f- how do we go about dealing with that uh, broken expectation? And so uh, early on in, in discipling, first of all, I had to really grow in my understanding of how to be that disciple. I had had it modeled for me with uh, the men that had uh, taught me the scriptures and, and shared with me how to disciple. But as I started discipling individuals, there was that growing process in those first sure. men. Uh, the way I did it then is much different now, not necessarily in form, not necessarily in the in the material, 
but in my understanding and ability to communicate that those truths. Uh, and certainly in 19 years, uh, the Lord has taught me many more things. So mm-hmm. there's the ability and understanding to uh, help that person even more so. So when we meet up with somebody who is uh, not necessarily growing like we would expect or desire, how do you handle that? And what has really been helpful is to be able to understand and know who's responsible for what. And it's nice to be able to have those responsibilities laid out. And when we look to the scriptures, God helps us to understand and know what those responsibilities are. And uh, and understanding and knowing those responsibilities gives you an ability to take the emotion out of it and be able to just look at it with an objective view to be able to really pinpoint what is going wrong and why is it going wrong with the goal of trying to make sure that we correct whatever it is that's going wrong and get on the right track again. Okay, so give me an example, if you would, of a situation in which, okay, so somebody, you're discipling somebody and you're saying it's going wrong. What do you, what do you mean by going wrong? Like what's, what's happening? Um, well, I mean, one of the severe cases is when we had one lesson that uh, we had gotten through, I think it was around lesson 11, 10, 11, somewhere in there. And uh, this, this gentleman uh, took exception to what God's word had to say about his responsibility in giving. And once I started to show him from the scripture what his responsibility in giving to the church was, he stood up, pushed away from the, the, the desk, started to yell at me and scream at me and tell me I was a money-grabbing uh, you know, fool and other things and walked out of the room. So obviously that <laughs> lesson did not go as intended uh, because you know here all I was doing was reading to him scripture and identifying scripture to him. And all of a sudden, he's now responding in this way. Well, mm-hmm. this was early on, so I was a little bit befuddled and certainly disappointed, and and I was I was experiencing a, a wide range of emotion. And uh, the gentleman ended up leaving the church, not coming back. And it was almost a year later when I got a chance to talk to him again, uh, because any attempt I made to even communicate with him, he was just he was done. He was done with me. He was done with the church. And uh, I was able to meet up with him a year or so later. And when I did, uh, I, you know, I apologized if I had done anything offensive. And uh, he said, no, pastor, you didn't do anything wrong. Uh, I just did not hear the truth. And he apologized to me. And we got things squared away. Uh, unfortunately, he never did come back to the church. And we never did continue with discipleship. Mm-hmm. But at least the relationship was restored to the point where he identified and that kind of set me on a path to trying to figure out okay how am i how could i handle this differently was it was it me uh was it the way i said things was it uh my demeanor was it just simply the truth and sometimes it is just simply the truth and mm-hmm. we you know we can't avoid that because uh, that's what we're that's what god has has commanded us to give to them but um, there are other times where uh, the person we have to evaluate, are they actually receiving what God says and are they obeying it and doing it? Because when we go back, uh, this is really the umbrella here is the fulfilling of the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're setting out to do. Right. And as we fulfill the Great Commission, 
we have to teach them to observe. And so there is that element of, re- of God requiring them to obey his word. Uh, they don't have to observe to do what I tell them to do. But as long as I am leading them to follow Christ and follow his word, then they need to be observing and doing those things. And so I need to make sure that I'm doing my part, my role, and I'm fulfilling my responsibility to make sure that they're observing. And so um, I had one gentleman that after about four or five meetings, it was becoming abundantly clear that he wanted to come and teach me. And that's fine. That I'm, I'm certainly, I can learn. But what he wanted to teach me was heresy or false doctrine. And so I would, you know, show him from the scripture and, and show him even from the passages mm-hmm. that he would bring up why they that why they were breaking the rules of a good Bible study and they were right uh, and they were not he was not using the proper context or that he was taking things out of context and and he would sit there befuddled for a few minutes and then he would revert back to another uh, argument that he had seen online or something and would then continue to bring out the falsehood and so finally that time after evaluating that he wasn't willing to do what his responsibility was that we needed to stop meeting for the time being mm-hmm. and then be able to uh, resume whenever he was ready to start doing what is his responsibility. Yeah, and I, I think there's a lot of pastors, there may be many pastors who and, and teachers and disciplers who I know are, are struggling with, maybe they've tried um, discipling people before and it just hasn't gone well. And they've had trouble getting across the points that they're trying to get across. And it's not that they're not teaching it well. It's that the people aren't receiving it well. Or maybe they aren't teaching it well. And then they're, they're stuck somewhere. And I think if we can identify um, what portions of the discipleship process are my responsibility, it takes a lot of weight off. Sure. Um, and so people, I think, I think there are probably many people who are afraid to attempt discipleship because they're afraid of the aspect of not necessarily that they're afraid of failure, but they're afraid that if they, if they don't do it just right, that things won't turn out, you know? And, and, and so I think if it would be helpful for people, if we could identify what portions are your responsibility, what portions, because there's, there's multiple people involved here. There is the discipler, and there's this disciple. Yes. Obviously, those are the two obvious people involved here. Um, but there's also the Holy Spirit is involved here. Um, because anytime you address God's word, the Holy Spirit gets involved. And the Holy Spirit is the one who does, is the one who really does the work when it comes down to it. Yes, that um, is true. So if we go from scripture and we talk about what is the Holy Spirit's job, there's a couple of key things that, that the Holy Spirit does. And so if we can address what's the Holy Spirit's job and then take those things out. And say whatever's left has to be either the discipler's job or the disciple's job. Because those are the three people that are involved. The discipler, the disciple, and the Holy Spirit. So if we identify what's the Holy Spirit's job and we take that out, we're relieved of that responsibility. Mm -hmm. We've just got what's left and we've got to divvy that between the two of us. So what is the Holy Spirit's job in the discipleship process? If you could speak to that. Well, the first job is because discipleship really starts with uh, a lost person, somebody who's spiritually dead. So his first job is going to be convict them of their need of salvation. Right. And so once they accept Christ as their Savior, uh, now his job of conviction is going to be towards uh, the 
the the um, responsibility of sanctification, and it's his job to cleanse their life. It's his job to identify areas that need to be cleaned up and the order in which he wants them cleaned up. And so that's really his role. Um, and so when we recognize that, that really relieves us of the need to identify things in our life that need to be fixed uh, and then confront them on that. Uh, when we let the Holy Spirit convict them and, and show them an area that needs to be changed, what what I have found in the lives of those that God has allowed me to minister to is that when he cleans them up, they tend to be cleaned up for the long haul. If I identify a need in their life and then try and manipulate or discuss or uh, bring that up in my timing, um, a lot of times that can bring offense to them, that can bring a resentment uh, and and bring in a lot of other uh, emotions that don't need to be involved in the relationship. And so when we recognize the role that the Holy Spirit plays in conviction, in the lost, it's to salvation. That's the only thing he's going to convict them on. But then in the saved, he's going to convict them to clean up their lifestyle, their life, their actions, their behaviors, their mm-hmm. habits. And so when we realize that that's his role and it's not my role, boy, that's a liberating fact. Sure. And that's a liberating truth because it's not my job to clean them up. It's not my job to make them holy, um, which I can't do anyway because I'm not as holy as I ought to be. Sure, sure. Um, and But he, the Holy Spirit, is holy. He's completely holy. And so he has the capability of doing that. And so... Uh, knowing that, then he's going to continue to teach them the truth. It's his job to teach them the truth. At least that's what Jesus tells us. It's his job to lead them to that truth and then also confirm that truth in their heart. And so when I'm sharing these truths with them, I'm not. it's not my job to convince them that this is truth. It's my job to present them with the truth. Mm-hmm. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to then confirm that truth in their heart right. and mind. And then ultimately... When that new believer or that young believer that we're discipling walks in the Spirit as we share with them and introduce them to those truths in Scripture that will help them to walk in the Spirit, it's the Spirit's job to actually produce the fruit of the Spirit in their life. And so it's His job to clean them up. It's His job to bear His fruit in their life. That could be the fruit of the Spirit. That also could be them witnessing and 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 leading other people to the Lord as well. Sure. And so he's the one that bears fruit. He's the one that confirms truth. He's the one that teaches truth. He's the one that sanctifies them and convicts them towards sanctification. And ultimately, he's the one that, in the beginning, he's the one that convicts them to salvation to begin with. And then the wonderful thing is he always does his job. I never have to wonder if his job is going to be accomplished. Yeah, and I think that's that is the most important thing I think as the discipler as well as the person being discipled if we can recognize that these are the pieces that are the Holy Spirit's job and he will always do his job. It takes a lot of the responsibility off the discipler. I no longer am responsible for the fruit bearing in this person's life. Okay? I'm no longer responsible for the conviction of sin. I think we try to do this often when we're witnessing to people too. You know, we try to we're trying to convince them 
that they're sinners when that's not our job. Our job is to show them from the scripture that they are sinners and allow the Holy Spirit to confirm that. And, um, and, and the Holy Spirit's on the inside working and saying, this is something that you know is sin in your life. And this is something that you know is sin in your life. And we don't have to do that. You know, we just have to give them the truth. And the same thing is true when we're discipling people. Um, we recognize, look, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's the Holy Spirit's job to teach um, and, and confirm truth in their heart. Yes. And then at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit's job to bear the fruit in their life. Um, and if we, so we take those things out because we know the Holy Spirit will always do his job. So if something's going wrong, it's not his fault. It's never going to be his fault. Correct. It's always going to be the disciples' fault or the disciples' fault every time. So if we take the Holy Spirit's jobs out and we say what's left, now we're working on identifying where the problem is. Where's the breakdown? Um, and if we know whose job is what, I think it'll help us to, to diagnose the problem. Now, when I say that, we got to recognize that we've got our own pride in our life, you know? And so yes. people tend to either be too hard of themselves because of their own pride, or they tend to be not hard enough on themselves again, because of their own pride. So we've got to make sure that we're checking ourselves, getting pride out of our own life and then looking honestly at, am I doing my job? So what is the discipler's job in this process? And we kind of briefly alluded to this earlier, but the general job of the discipler is essentially the job of every Christian, and that is the job of the Great Commission, preaching the gospel and teaching all things. Um, now, that teaching all things is mm -hmm. really what we're emphasizing, emphasizing here, because the, the preaching the gospel part, um, I'm hoping all of our listeners understand what I mean by that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then that person has to believe in their heart, confess with their mouth um, that, they, that they believe that. So, um, the, so the salvation part, I think we all understand, or at least I hope we all understand. If not, I'll give you the email in a little bit, reach out to us. Um, but the second part of that is the teaching them to observe all things that we find in Matthew chapter 28. So what does that mean for the discipler to be engaged in teaching all things? And we've had episodes before about how, look, we're not lording over people. That's not our job. Yes. Um, you're not trying to control every aspect of their life because again, it's not your job. What is your job? So what's the job of the discipler in teaching all things? Well, certainly on a very practical level, the first thing we need to do is to provide an opportunity for growth. And so if we're talking about a pastor, he needs to, uh, edify the believer and in order to edify the believer, there needs to be this opportunity for growth. And so that's where we are talking about uh, how we're setting up a schedule, how we're communicating with this new believer or even this lost person to try and get them to <clears throat> meet with us on a regular basis. Right. And by, by providing opportunity, you're, you're talking about the initial contact, like off the offering of, hey, you know, I'd like to teach you more about God's word as well as the regular contact with that person once you're discipling them. Yeah, I, I think it has uh, an element to both in it, providing that opportunity initially and then also extending or continuing to provide that opportunity on a week-to-week -week basis. And so I think what's what's really uh, paramount here from if I'm looking at my perspective or as the discipler's perspective, I need to make myself available. I mean, that's the very first thing I have to be willing to meet with somebody. 
then they need to be willing to meet with me as well. So then there's that interaction of how are we going to make this happen? And so I can imagine if you work a, a 40, 50, 60 hour work week, uh, you know, and you're used to coming home and sitting down or having your evening routine, um, there's going to be some disruption to that or your Saturday routine or whatever mm-hmm. that is necessary to meet this new believer's re, uh, needs and or this person who you're witnessing to so that they can become a believer in Jesus Christ. Right. And so you, this providing the opportunity for growth has all of this in it. But then when we look at it from the aspect of I want to evaluate, am I doing my job? Well, am I making myself available? And that's a fairly easy question to answer is, okay, is this person called me and had, you know, they had to cancel. Okay. Well, when we needed to reschedule, did I not make myself available? Did I, was I not willing to sacrifice my personal time or my, you know, uh, hobby time or whatever? And so I'm making it difficult for us to meet and be flexible enough within reason mm-hmm. obviously we can't we can't change everything in our life but there are a significant amount of hours in the day that we still have flexibility sure. and we could choose to seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness rather than seek first my hobby or my pastime mm-hmm. or whatever it is that i'm wanting to do sure. um again we want to be kept balanced here and not forego all of our family time uh, we still have, if you are married and you have children, you have responsibilities there as mm-hmm. well. So we're talking about, though, only you and I can answer whether we're willing and, and we're really providing for this opportunity for growth with this person. And we're being as flexible as we can be, um, which goes to wh- what is my passion? Is my passion to seek first his kingdom? Is my passion to see uh, believers edified and built up? And I don't have to be a pastor to have that passion. Every believer ought to have that passion. And so if I have that passion, then I'm going to be willing and and I'm going to be doing my part, and that is providing the opportunity for growth, which is whatever is necessary to maintain that relationship for God's kingdom purposes. That's what we're saying. This opportunity for growth is that maintenance of the relationship with this individual for God's kingdom purposes. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to continue to do it. Uh, I've heard people talk about, well, this guy discipled me and he took me fishing and he took me hunting and he took me and all of these things. Well, taking somebody hunting or fishing is a mentorship, but that's mentoring for how to be a hunter. That's mentoring on how to be a fisher. Uh, Now, if you do that and then there's a, a intentional time of instruction in the Word of God, right. now that's discipleship as well. Mm-hmm. And so there's nothing wrong with having discipleship and, and providing this opportunity for growth and combining it with another activity, Yeah, but that other activity does not constitute discipleship or this opportunity for growth. And you giving them one little line here or there of you know how to be a better Christian does not constitute you providing them the opportunity for growth. We need to do that because that fellowship has to be around the Word of God. And if you're not giving them God's Word, well, then you're not giving God an opportunity to be involved in this process. Yeah, and I think sometimes people just need an excuse to um, 
get up the courage to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so maybe they might use something like hunting, fishing, going and playing golf or whatever to kind of give them the, the, the excuse to say, okay, I've got this person alone now and we're out having fun and I'm going to use this opportunity to kind of be like, okay, um, I'd like to teach you more about God's word. Um, and if you're using that as a, as a springboard or in a, something to kind of give you the, the courage that you need to ask them or, or whatever, um, or just to kind of build that relationship a little bit before you get started, mm-hmm. that's fine. Um, but if that's what the totality of your discipleshiping uh, discipleship process is going to be, uh, then that person is going to be more excited about playing golf than they are about learning from the Word of God. And you're also going to have a hard time teaching them from the Word of God when you don't have Bibles because you're on a boat somewhere or... You know, so it, it obviously, like I said, if you're using that as a as a way to initiate contact um, with this particular person, um, that's fine. You know, but uh, it, you don't want that to be the regular thing because you're not really going to be able to dig into God's Word when you're out on a boat with a Bible. Um, it, it's just it's not it's not going to happen. That kind of stuff is great um, for short term trips and. Um, you know, things where you guys can, you get a group of guys together and you go hiking or whatever. That stuff's, that stuff's awesome sure. for that kind of thing, but yeah, and there's not nothing, for the regular discipleship contact. We're not saying anything about the fact that hunting or fishing is necessarily a wrong activity. It just doesn't constitute in and of itself discipleship, right. which leads us to the next responsibility that uh, a discipler has. And that is that they are to give intentional instruction from God's word for growth for the purpose of growth. Mm -hmm. And so I need to evaluate, am I giving them God's word? Am I instructing them in God's word? And is that instruction intentional? In other words, are we actually making progress in understanding God's word here? And so if I'm not giving them God's word, I'm not instructing them from God's word, so that what? So that the Holy Spirit will do what his job is, and that's to teach them his word and confirm that in their heart. Well, then I'm the, I'm the breakdown in the link, and mm-hmm. I need to make sure that I'm doing that. So if I'm providing an opportunity for growth, and I am instructing them in what God has taught me from his word, what the Holy Spirit has taught me from his word, well, then I need to give them, the third thing I need to do is provide for them to have direction for growth. And that's going to be where the practical application of Scripture and other things will come in. And am I giving them the directions that they need as God has taught it to me? Again, this is not me coming up with my own stuff. This isn't me coming up with my own uh, material. But this is me simply taking the Word of God and being very practical and helping them to have the direction that they need. And again, the Holy Spirit's the one that's going to confirm these things in their heart as they are truth. He's the one that's going to do the teaching. Mm-hmm. And then this is really the the grassroots of how do I walk in the Spirit? How do I uh, allow this, the Holy Spirit of God to, to minister to my heart and my life? And this is where that transparency can come through as a, as a discipler. And so when I'm doing my part, and I know God is doing his part, and, and he's fulfilling his responsibility, and I'm fulfilling my responsibilities. The natural question is that uh, are they, the disciple, the disciple, the one that's being instructed, the one that's being ministered to, are they fulfilling their responsibilities in this process? Because they're not exempt from having responsibility here as well. 
Yeah. And I think the key thing that you, when you were just talking about the instruction from God's word and the direction, um, the key word there was for growth. Uh, because if it's not for growth, then you'll get ahead of yourself. Um, you know, we, we've talked about before having intentional plan for discipleship. We've got into that. So I'm not going to get into that again. But um, what I'm saying is if you're being an intentional discipler and you're teaching them instruction from God's word and direction from God's word, if you're just doing that and you're not doing it for their growth, then you're giving them head knowledge and not heart knowledge. And that's why we said we don't move on. We don't move on from point A until we've gotten point A down. Um, because if we do, we're not doing it for their growth. We're doing it for their intellect. Um, so it's got to be for their growth uh, that that we teach these things instructionally from God's word. And so I think I don't have this in my notes or anything, but I think part of part of the job of that discipler is to be sensitive to that. Where is this person? And should I move on from this point yet? Um you know, because again, that that falls in the intentionality of the instruction from God's word and the direction for growth, uh, and that leads us right into what is the disciple's job? Uh, because they're being taught, or they ought to be being taught, and the Holy Spirit's always going to do His job. So, what what part of this process is that person who is being discipled? What part of this process is is his? Uh, because some of the responsibility falls on he he would be person number three here. Holy Spirit's person number one, discipler's person number two. So so person number three is the disciple himself. What what is his job in this process? Well, first thing is they're gonna have to maintain the relationship with God's obedient servant. And so again, we wanna make sure that the discipler understands or the disciplee, the one being discipled, understands that uh, their job is to maintain that relationship with the one who's willing to be obedient to God and disciple them. Uh, obviously, the principle here is that, <clears throat> as Paul said it, you follow me as what? As I follow Christ. And so as I'm obedient to Christ, Paul was saying, well, then you follow my obedience and you you follow my lead and, and allow me to... Uh, speak that truth and teach and instruct you in the truth of God's word. And so the disciplee, the one being discipled, needs to be able to understand and realize that it's their job to maintain that ongoing relation. Well, what does that look like? <clears throat> well, it's going to look like that they're going to uh, continue to initiate the discipleship sessions each week. Uh, they're going to uh, continue to uh, maintain a relationship with that person. So that means there's going to be some communication probably outside of discipleship uh, throughout the week. Uh, what it would look like early on in the discipleship process as to maybe six months into it or a year into it is going to be a little different than what it looked like at the beginning. Uh, I would expect the discipler, the one doing the discipling, would need to be a maybe a little more proactive mm -hmm. in making sure that we're ready for the sessions and that we're going to be uh, on task with those early on. But then as that person matures and grows, they will take on more of that responsibility of making sure that sure. We're, we're set up for this week's meeting and, and so on and so forth. So, but sure, because relationships are two-way. Absolutely. And so we have the two-way relationship here. The obedient servant, he needs to make sure, and I guess we missed this, but they need to be need to continue to be obedient to God. And so if you know person number two there, the discipler, 
that's one of their responsibilities is to remain obedient to God and, and continue in their walk and growth with God as well. But then the disciplee, the one being discipled, they want to continue to maintain that relationship with that person. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be, there's going to be a lot of practical. So are they willing to be somewhat flexible? Uh, are they willing to at least carve out some time in their week? But again, we're going to look at it. This is the one that's immature. Sure. And so the one that's immature, we're going to have a little bit more leniency towards requiring a, more and more of them. We're not going to expect them to be as willing to give up of their personal time and other things. We want to uh, certainly help them grow to the point where they'll be willing to do that. But I can't expect that of a baby or an infant in, in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so I want to be looking for that. And are they willing to maintain this relationship? Sure, sure. I think the important thing that we recognize is, and we've talked about this a little bit before, but there is a growth going on in this disciple. Um, it starts out, again, as a, as a baby. You can't expect hardly anything of a baby. Um, but as they are growing and as they are maturing and becoming a child, there are certain things that you can begin to ask that a child do that is an inconvenience to them. You know, um, when I ask my kids to do something for me, you know, go get the trash out of the bathroom trash can or something. Um, it's a little bit of inconvenience for them. They got to put their toys down. They got to put down with the things that they want to do in order to do that. Um, but it is something that they have grown enough that I have some leeway to ask them to begin doing some things like that. But I can't ask my infant child to do something like that because she's not able and she's not mature enough to understand or able to do that. So, um, when we're talking about the disciple, maintaining that relationship with you in the early stages, they may not do that. They may not do that at all. They may be totally dependent upon you doing that. Um, but as you've been meeting every week, the one time that you don't reach out to them, they're probably going to reach out to you because they're used to it at this point and, and they've grown enough that they, that they're engaged and they want that relationship. Mm-hmm. So once, yeah, once you have that opportunity to identify that they're taking on that responsibility and they're willing to do that, you want to continue to kind of transfer more and more of that responsibility of, of maintaining the relationship to them because that's going to show growth on their part and that's going to show maturity on their part. Right. Which leads us to the, their second responsibility, and this is really probably the biggest one. Uh, as far as uh, their responsibility to God, and that is to receive his word. It's their responsibility to accept and receive and hear his word. It's our responsibility to deliver it to them, but they must hear it, receive it, and then the key is when they obey it. Because as we are reminded of Jesus when he talked about Mm -hmm. the two men that built their house, the only difference between the two men was both of them heard it. It was the wise man that did something with it and obeyed it. It was the foolish man that heard it and then did nothing with it. And he didn't listen to what uh, Christ was saying. And so we see here that just you and I sitting down across the table or across the desk from somebody and sharing this information with them does not make them wise. What makes them wise and what makes us wise is when we hear God's word and we obey it. And right. other words, we could say it as they're walking in the spirit and they're abiding in Christ and Christ and the spirit are walking and abiding with them. And so when we, this process, if they're not, they may be hearing it intellectually, mm-hmm. they may be hearing it physically, 
but are they hearing it and actually doing it? And that's why in the Great Commission, I believe he tells us very clearly that we're to teach them to observe, that they need to be doing these things. And so we don't want to get in a hurry and teach them something and then just move on. But we want to teach it to them in a way that they can observe Mm -hmm. it and do it. They embrace it, they accept it, and they obey it. And so it's their job to obey it. Right. Because the goal... The goal of our teaching is not to enhance their knowledge. Um, you know, I, I heard somebody put it this way once that knowledge is the gathering of information and wisdom is the discretion to know what to do with the knowledge. And um, but it comes, again, it comes down to what to do with the knowledge because wisdom is the doing of it. So um, it, it always comes down to that. So the goal of the discipleship process, again, is not to just feed them information, which is why we said that the discipler, under his jobs, one of his jobs is to not teach something if they haven't got what they were taught before yet, um, because they haven't had the wisdom to do yet what they were supposed to do with it. Sure. And that wisdom is really the is uh, an expression of what? It's an expression of their obedience. And when they obey the Word of God, right. now we see that wisdom exercised in their life. So this this has been a liberating understanding as a minister, whether you're a pastor or you're uh, a believer who is just being obedient to the Great Commission. No matter what your office or responsibilities are, we all are responsible to minister the Word of God to those who uh, receive His Son as their Savior so that they can be edified and built up. And so when you understand and know what your responsibilities are, what their responsibilities are, and what God is going to always be responsible for and always faithful to do, then it liberates you to not try and do their job for them. And I think I've shared in podcast uh, episodes earlier that, um, you know, as a young youth pastor, that was a, a grave mistake that I was making was that I was uh, trying to do what the teenager's job was and force them to, to, to be obedient. I was trying to do the Holy Spirit's job by trying to sanctify them myself. Right. And it wasn't, I wasn't successful in any of that. And those failures were, were huge, not in the sense that I failed to preach and teach the truth, but I was failing in the ability to actually edify and build up these young people so that they could be the servants of God that he wanted them to be. Yeah, I think most people, when I say most people, I really mean all people. Everybody has a tendency to do this. We have a tendency to do one or the other. Either we try to take over some of the Holy Spirit's job in trying to force people into a mold, which is not our job. Mm -hmm. Um, Or we try to do the disciples' job in this process. And I guess there is a third thing. We don't do our own job. Um, But when we start invading the jobs of the other individuals involved in this process, um, that is where we start messing up. We start messing up things. So there's it's a two-part thing here. So identify yourself. Which of these three people are you? You're not the Holy Spirit, okay? So make sure you're not doing his job. If you're the discipler, what's your job? Make sure you're doing your job. And then look at the disciple and, and make sure you're not doing his job. If you start doing his job, then he's not going to grow the way that he ought to. 
he or she. They're not going to grow the way that they ought to because you're, again, you're trying to domineer and enforce their job on them when really that should be something that they're doing. Um, so it isn't just about making sure that you're doing your job. It's also about making sure that you're not doing somebody else's job. And that's, I think if we take a look, we can, I mean, you don't have to look very far. If you look at churches that have not done well or previous experiences that you've had with other people, I know I've had experiences with, with leadership people in the past. And now when I look back at those things, I think I am never going to do that that way. (laughs) And most of the time, those things are situations in which they were trying to do somebody else's job. Usually that's what it was. Um, because I've been in good churches, um, my whole life I've been in great churches. So they were doing their job. They were just also trying to do somebody else's job. And there's a, there's a detriment to that. Um, if things don't operate well when you try to do somebody else's job and, uh, but it is also on the flip side of that, extremely liberating to know that, you know, I have done my job with this person and I have not encroached on their responsibility. And if things aren't turning out, I know I've done my job. I know the Holy Spirit's done his job. And as I'm looking at all of these different things and thinking through it, the only thing, the only conclusion left is that that person hasn't done their job. Or I'm looking at this whole situation and saying, you know what, this is something that's my job that I'm not doing well. And I know how to fix that now because I know what my job is. So it's extremely liberating when you take a look at scripture and figure out what's my job, what's their job, and what's the job of the Holy Spirit. Um, And if we can get out of the Holy Spirit's way, he'll do his job. It's just a matter of us making sure that we do our job and not trying to encroach on anybody else's. And that's extremely liberating. And God, he he tells us multiple times throughout the New Testament that we need to remember that each of his servants is going to give an account for themselves. I'm not going to give an account for what somebody else is doing or not doing. Right. And so uh, it, that also is liberating because I don't I don't have to answer for wh- what the other mm-hmm. person does. My disciple, uh, the, the one that I'm discipling, if they uh, uh, don't obey, it's not my responsibility. Uh, my responsibility is to give them the opportunity to obey as much as possible, as much as I have control over and influence in their life. Um, but outside of those areas that are my responsibility, I'm not going to give an account for those things. And wow, it's a it's a blessing to be able to know what is my job and what is not my job. Yeah. And <clears throat> I want to make a note too here that that doesn't mean that we wash our hands of people either. Because as the discipler, it is still my job to provide opportunity. Correct. So if that person wants to cut off the relationship on their end, that's fine. But it is never okay for me to cut off the relationship on my end. Um, I always want to make sure that I, you know, even if, like you said earlier with that, the other individual that you were speaking of, you know, he broke off the relationship, at least for a while. He broke yeah. off the relationship. Um, but your job wasn't over. As long as you have the opportunity to have an impact and an influence on that person, our job is to make sure that we continue to provide the opportunity. That doesn't mean that we text them every weekend and say, hey, are we going to do this when we know the answer is no? Um, but it does mean that they know, look, I'm always here. I'm always available, and I'm more than willing to continue to be here for you. Um, if you ever want to 
start looking at God's word again, you know, because again, we're not teaching them what we want to teach them. We're teaching them what God wants to teach them. And if that's clear from the get go and we are faithfully doing our job and continue to provide the opportunity again, it's not, it's not our job to produce the result. That's the, that's the job of the Holy Spirit and the job of that disciple to obey the Holy Spirit. It is our job, however, to continue to provide opportunity for that person to grow, continue to provide instruction if that person is willing to receive it, and continue to provide direction if that person is willing to listen. And so that is if everybody's doing their job, I don't have to be guilty at the end of the day if that person does not fulfill their part. But I do, however, need to continue to provide opportunity. Simon, I think there's a, th- a thought that uh, I believe the Holy Spirit just kind of reminded me about, and that is when you're dealing with uh, this relationship and it seems to not be going the right way, one of the things as the discipler that is our responsibility as well is to uh, provide not only for that relationship for growth, that opportunity for growth, but part of that is that you're looking for that relationship to restore be restored when the other is willing to do their part. And so uh, when that person, like you said, does break it off, uh, you need to be in a position where you're, like you said, you're not going to just write them off and say, well, you know what? They're a lost cause. No, it's a opportunity to look for those opportunities. And there are times where the Holy Spirit will prompt you to contact Mm -hmm. them. Uh, Maybe it's a month, maybe it's six months later, maybe it's longer than that. But when the Holy Spirit prompts you to contact them, uh, that's when you are going to reach out to them again and see if there's an opportunity to provide that opportunity for growth again as well. And so I've had some of those situations where um, it's been a while and then we were able to get going again. Mm -hmm. Um, And you don't want to harass the person, but at the same rate, you don't want to ignore them, uh, especially when the Holy Spirit prompts you to do otherwise. Right. Yeah, and the the one of the jobs of the church is to always provide an opportunity for people to be restored. You know, the the scripture says to restore such an one. You know, someone who's not been where they ought to be or not been doing what they ought to be doing. But it's not our you know it's not our job, uh, especially to be judgmental of that person. You know, the Holy Spirit does the conviction. I I don't need to do the conviction. I don't need to berate that person. All I need to do is be ready to restore that person when they're ready to be restored. And um, so, you know, when we get our jobs clear, we clarify for ourselves what our position is and what it is that we're supposed to do. And then we don't encroach on anybody else's responsibility. Things go a lot smoother. And it also, you know, on our end, it frees us up to not have the guilt on our shoulders of what did I do wrong with this person? Maybe you didn't do anything wrong. Just take a hard look at it and see. Um and if you did, apologize to that person. Get it right and, and move forward because until you apologize to that person, you're not providing an opportunity, you know? So um, that way we can continue to provide an opportunity for that person to be instructed and, and given direction. So um, I think that's good. I think we've covered what we needed to cover in today's episode. Thank you so much again for listening. And uh, if you have any questions, you can always reach out to us. Um, I'll give you the email and the uh, and the, the Twitter account at the end in the sting here. But um, Thank you so much again for listening. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll get back with you again next week. Thanks so much. God bless. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of General Order 4. On the next episode, we will continue our discussion about discipleship. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to us by email at generalorder4 at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R. Or on Twitter at General Order the number 4. Please like, share, comment, and subscribe.